Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. A lot of stuff to talk about tonight, Bud. Ton of listener questions. Great response from our Patreons, as always. Going to look back at a, a win and enjoy that as, as much as we can. As uh, 2020 has only made so many of those available uh, for the Florida State program, and obviously, early signing day is looming on the horizon. So uh, we'll, we'll lean on your recruiting prowess as we are ever so fortunate to do and try to get through as much of this as we can uh, tonight. As always, we'll thank our friends in New Iberia, Louisiana, Louisiana Hot Sauce, three simple ingredients, one fantastic product, the driving force behind the Nolcast. And uh, Bud, we've got significant additions of the roster. We've got what seems to be a little bit of positive momentum on the recruiting trail, fingers crossed, and uh, a win in the uh, a win to take away from Saturday. So, uh, you know, we'll talk on the Duke game ever so briefly and then kind of move into everything else that we have tonight. Deep, man. Let, let's do that. I just want to go ahead with a couple things here. First, uh, I am in Lauderdale uh, tonight. I have my road kit. The best place that I can actually put the microphone where it's stable is here. And there's a, there's a wall pretty close. So if you guys hear more echo tonight than normal, certainly apologize. Uh, but I'm down here for CBS HQ. We are doing an eight-hour Signing Day show, not nine to six Eastern on National Signing Day. Extremely excited about that, and uh, you can get it on CBS Sports HQ, the free app. You can pull it up on your on your smart TV, etc. So make sure to check it out. Me, Barton Simmons, Steve Wilfong, Josh Pate, that whole crew, and we'll be hitting uh, quite a, quite a number of topics. But I'm down here a day early to uh, to do some prep on that. So I apologize if the sound is not what it normally is tonight. And if you don't notice, then Awesome job, Justin, our, our producer. You want to kick it off with what Duke talk? That's probably the most important thing here. Yeah, we'll look back ever so briefly. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm hesitant to talk a whole lot about the defense and reaction podcast because I feel like you do need to go back. And um, the offense was kind of what it looked like on rewatch. Uh, I said going into the game that I thought Duke had maybe the worst linebackers I've seen all year. If I could just put a multiplier on that by maybe a quantity of three or something like that, it was. I was shocked. That that's kind of more like what I expect from 1992 Duke uh, rather than 2020 Duke as far as just talent on the roster. Um, but hey, a nice win. Obviously, the uh, everybody contributed in the running game to have a, a pretty significant uh, day. You know, to be fair, not quite as significant as uh, as what the boys in Chapel Hill turned in. But uh, no, it was a great. Great effort from uh, from running backs and, and Travis. You know, obviously there's some rather significant roster news that we'll talk about tonight. But uh, Travis is a special player, man, and you know there's got to be a way that you can uh, take advantage of him and his skill set uh, as much as possible because that that guy adds a, a dimension to this offense that when it's not there is, is maybe the only time you can really appreciate it. Yes, he does absolutely, and I I just thought it was a good win for the program. It's important to get some wins. Not going to overstate the importance, but it was. I think it was just nice to go ahead and get the win, and and to make the fan base feel feel something again and and feel happy again. They they certainly they needed it, and I think you can overestimate how much you can sell this in recruiting. But certainly the the guys who got to sell this in recruiting, the the coaches and the the office staff, and basically every single person associated with the program, they're happy to be able to sell anything. They haven't had a damn thing to sell other than playing time in in months. So that was that was encouraging. More so important than recruiting than your own roster. You know, you, you get the you get Travis J. Nice moment as you kind of transition into the off season, or uh, we'll talk about that whether or not there's going to be a bowl game, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of your younger players on offense have 
uh, kind of career days. And, and there's a lot to take away. And certainly, um, you know, the offensive line is a work in progress, but some of the younger guys that continue to get thrown out there, uh, they're raw and Duke's defensive line is, is decent. Uh, but nice to see some, uh, some continued improvement. And then, you know, Donke Lucas didn't have a, uh, a perfect day, but that appears to be a kid who's, uh, you know, maybe come back hat in hand, uh, ready to work and had a, had a solid Saturday. So hopefully you continue to see improvement there. And um, yeah, we're not going to hype up a, you know, a, a Duke win, but it was great to see a program that's, uh, you know, kind of gone in this pattern of great starts and then kind of collapsing, uh, find itself, knock a quarterback out of a game and, and, you know, beat a team that what they were favored by four, one by three touchdowns or three and a half. That's uh Hey, we'll we'll take it. We'll enjoy it, and uh, nice nice little series of events on Saturday. Absolutely, uh, I would argue the bigger bigger news of the weekend is probably the KZ stuff, and we should talk about that in just a second. Yeah, no, I mean it's uh, it's a nice shot in the arm. I, it will be interesting to see how much it it transitions to the recruiting trail. We've talked a decent amount about the fact that that's from a commodity standpoint doesn't necessarily translate super broadly to the current uh, recruiting scene, but, you know, gives you validity to an extent that you had somebody choose you uh, like that. I'm not exactly sure as to the breadth of his options, but uh, still, it's a kid that's got a, uh, a really nice resume. And um, there's been some mixed reports as to what he looks like post-injury, but uh, we talked about the release last week. That's certainly going to be there. Uh, some of the decision-making and ability to read defense is going to be there. And if nothing else, it's another uh, positive force in the locker room. And, you know, hey, look, you certainly transitioned from a guy who struggled to sign quarterbacks into uh, putting together a pretty damn solid quarterback room uh, in year two for Nervell. So a uh, nice addition, and it'll be interesting to see how much they can kind of make out of it and uh, what it ultimately means down the line. McKenzie Milton, man is a big deal for this program. I am surprised they pulled this off. I know Florida State people were confident, but they've been confident in things before this staff has that did not come to fruition. My guys at UCF, who include coaches there and other people within the program, were very confident that McKenzie Milton would get better options than Florida State. Period. Not going to sugarcoat that. Like They were like, yeah. Florida State's kind of a safety school was the word used to me when, when, it, when he jumped in the portal. He had his sights set on higher programs, on programs that, you know, like the priorities he had were to play behind a good offensive line. <clears throat> Florida State doesn't offer that. And to play in and win big-time games, to win championships. <clears throat> Florida State's not going to win, win big games. Actually, you're not going to win championships. Logically, I think it makes sense why the people at UCF were surprised that uh, that Milton would pick Florida State. However, I will note that it's awesome news for Florida State that he did. That's a big damn deal, especially because like it, it tells me that when my UCF folks are like this confident that he would get better options, that he's like legit now and is healthy and can play and can be really good. Like when, when we heard he was tearing up scout team and whatnot, and, and you know we'd be starting for them if they didn't have Gabriel, who's really good and younger. Um, that's that's encouraging, and you know sometimes 
sometimes that like the average looking dude gets to take the really pretty girl to prom. And he's not he's like like he's not looking you know, like look, looking at give force in the mouth. Take it and run with it. This is a this is a potentially a really big break for Mike Norvell and this staff. And I gotta tell you, the guys who coached it in Memphis mm-hmm. on this team yeah. are head over heels about this because they coached their butts off against him and he still kicked their ass multiple times. Right? I mean, they put up a ton of points. And this is before Fuller got there. And he just came back and every time just touchdown, 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 touchdown. Just ripped them up, ripped that league up. I already told the story, you know, about what the NFL scout guys at Elite 11 were saying about him with the, you know, the, the release is special. Now I have no idea if he can still run around. We'll see. He's certainly not live on scout team. Right. So I think at the very least, you got a guy who improves your quarterback room. Uh, I, I don't know what this means for Jordan Travis. I don't think this would cause, you know, somebody like a party to transfer. But clearly Florida State is willing to take those risks to get a player of, of Milton's caliber, um, which I think says something about the quality of player uh, that he is. And I also think that they went after him super hard and were dedicated about it, probably in part because they saw him so frequently when they were at Memphis. And they realized, like, just how damn good he was. You know, they, this is a staff that had Brady White at Memphis. And Brady White can't hold Mackenzie Milton's jock. So I think all those factors really matter. I also will tell you, like, from a recruiting standpoint, those guys think it's going to pay off in a really big way. Really big way. Now, I question that a little bit. I don't think high school kids know who the hell Mackenzie Milton is for the most part. Now, if, you, if it's a high school kid from Orlando, okay. But like, a lot of these kids don't watch college football. They definitely don't watch G5 football. And they were freshmen in high school the last time McKenzie Milton was doing anything. So I get it. But you know who probably does know who McKenzie Milton is? Transfers. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think if it's felt, it's felt in the portal. Um, you're right. Maybe there's a Central Florida kid. Um, you know, maybe there's somebody that's a little bit more familiar with, with who Milton is. But um I think we can both acknowledge the uh, extent of the ad and also not want to get too far over our skis as to, you know, this is the moment, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's a really nice addition. It turns the quarterback room into um, quite the competition and also gives you the chance that uh, maybe a month ago or so we said, look, you know, if, if you want to get the most out of Jordan Travis, I'm not sure you can let him play every down. I mean, I think you've got to kind of try to find a way to, deploy that guy situationally and certainly will give you some flexibility uh, with what you do with him. You know, maybe we see there from the school that originally brought you the, uh, the Kentucky Derby, you know, maybe you see something like that next year with, uh, with wholesale changes and a, and a quarterback that kind of has his own unit. So um, yeah, I'm excited. You know, I mean, the staff is a big believer in him. Like you mentioned, true believer is uh, the phrase that I would use and uh, it'll be fascinating to see what he does. If nothing else, really solid locker room guy that's going to push everybody uh, to be the ultimate uh, you know, product that they can be. So, nice nice ad for Florida State. Uh, you want to get to some Sunday Day talk? Let's do it, man. So, is everything uh, on the on the Omari and Cooper front, they expect him to sign uh, and be part of the class? Is it, is it the, if I were to say they think everybody's going to be 
signed with the addition of the uh, the Mekinol kid uh, to put a, a slight uh, you know slight bend on his actual name. Uh, is is it chemo? And then everybody else, they're fairly confident they're going to be able to uh, kind of put in the proverbial bank on Wednesday. Yeah, uh, you, you, you nailed it. Um, so, you know, Florida State right now has 15 verbal commits and you, your guys are lining up with mine. Like Florida State thinks that everybody will sign early, except maybe not Kimo Makinole, the, the guy from the, the, the offensive guard from Niceville. Um, if they get 14 and 15 kids to sign early, that's that's great news. Um, because at that point, I, I, do, I do not think Florida State's going to take very many more high school kids at this point. They are not recruiting in a state which is not playing high school football this, you know, this fall. Like, you know, some states haven't are, are not playing high school ball until the spring. And, and some schools in those states are going to hold back a lot of spots for high school kids. I think Florida State is going to try to do whatever they can on Wednesday and then turn the page to the portal which has been the plan for you know, quite a while. Yeah, I agree. I, I think they'll keep maybe one or two slots open for, I, I think they will go whale hunting to an extent to see what kind of falls out of the tree from some of these decommitments, kids that are looking at uh, Auburn, Tennessee, et cetera. As, as much as this program can be involved in, with whales right now, uh, I do think that they'll, they'll save a, maybe a spot and a half. Uh, but yeah, I agree. I, I think it's high school kids try to put a, Try to put a wrap on the class. Chemo is a nice prospect. I don't know that you don't necessarily say that, like, uh, you know, our relationship <laughs> takes a rather definitive turn on Wednesday. Maybe you're a part of the class. Maybe at that point we uh, wish you the best and, and transition our focus elsewhere. Uh, so be fascinating to see. But certainly looks like, uh, you know, obviously the the McLean kid decommitted last week, and we'll we'll talk about him in a second. But if you're going to tell me, let me put it this way, but if you told me you were going to go three and six at this point, I would have thought that, you know, you, you would have suffered even a, a worse fate than you have with the, the Altemeyer decommitment and, uh, and McLean. And I guess if you want to throw Jennings in that boat as well, although when that happened, I'm not quite as sure that's a reflection of on-field play as maybe the other two were. Maybe, maybe the well being poisoned there a little bit. I think I agree with you for the most part. I, I continue to think that the most damaging part of this was the inability for, for kids to take visits and, and to actually be able to meet this staff in person. Florida State right now is tied with Ole Miss, as far as I can tell, as far as you know, number of blue chip kids in their class uh, among schools who have new head coaches, uh, or at least not the ones who promoted from within, because those guys generally already had pre-existing relationships with those kids. I mean, I'm, I'm looking here. You know, Missouri is new head coach. They only have two blue chips. Arkansas has three blue chips. So, you know, Florida State with five blue chips is, is not good. Uh, but, you know, they do have room to add some more. And at this point, I don't think they're going to lose any blue chips out of this class. And they, you know, they certainly could um, get better there on, on signing day. But they're probably only going to end up 16-ish high school players kind of plus or minus one-ish. And they're going to fill the rest of their 26 spots with transfers. Uh, so this class is almost certainly going to look better, you know, later on. Because that's, that's what they feel like they want. With this class, they want to get a couple kids at the high school level who they have to have for depth. 
they want to take guys who they feel like has high end upside. We could certainly question whether they've done that. Uh, and then they want to find guys who can fill roles. They don't want to take just a ton of filler at the high school level and potentially make a, a four-year mistake. Maybe one thing that's worth noting here real quickly as we talk about uh, the amount of people that we expect to be in the class. There's certainly a lot of optimism about, uh, uh, about the wide receiver out of Louisiana Hill. Ultimately, I, I, I can only speak for myself. Ultimately, I think that kid signs with Florida State. I don't know that that necessarily transpires on Wednesday. Uh, so if, if you see that and you don't see a signee or you don't see a, you know, a nice graphic or whatever else from the official account, I wouldn't necessarily leap to, uh, you know, conclusions that he wouldn't ultimately be part of the class. I think it's important to note here too, right? Like there's some weird circumstances with this one. I agree. I think Florida State's still in the best spot to get Hill, who formerly was known as, as Dustin Pizan. You know, now he's Dustin Hill, last name change. He's extremely young. Like he doesn't turn 18, I think until like late August, Right. You know, it's a pandemic. Do you want your kid to go away to school at 17 years old, that far away from home, and enroll early? You know, maybe you think he needs to get some more seasoning at home. There's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of balls in the air, a lot, lot, lot of stuff at play there. I, I don't know if I would totally read that as FSU's not going to get him. I agree with you. Do you want to talk about some guys they could get tomorrow, potentially? Yeah, let's do, let's do talk about it. Um, so the George Wilson defensive end prospect out of Virginia, that I don't want to say uh, a certainty. That's probably a too strong of a word, but certainly seems as though uh, that's a guy that the, the momentum is purely behind Florida State sales at this point. 100%. Pretty nice upside player. Guy who, like, Florida State has a really legitimate chance to get. How tall is George? I, I, I watched his film a little bit ago. And he another six five guy, kind of a yeah. Uh, he, he's he's long. He he used to be uh, South Carolina's lose, and now, kind of due to some circumstances, South Carolina having you know a, a change of coach, and you know Auburn. I think he was going to go to Auburn until Auburn changed their coach. Right, they, they fired Gus Malzahn, which we can talk about in a minute, maybe. Like I think he was. Auburn bound and FSU, I don't want to say lucked into him. They certainly worked hard for him here, but just circumstance wise, I think he's going to go to Florida state. If I had to pick somebody tonight, I mean, it's 10 o'clock on the East coast Monday night. I think they feel pretty good about him. And so do people who are not connected to Florida state. So we'll see what happens there. Certainly like if Auburn announces that Kevin Steele is the guy tomorrow, then all bets are off. Like I think if Auburn puts Kevin Steele in as the head coach before signing day, then my prediction, I'll probably flip it back to Auburn. He was going to go to Auburn for a reason. He likes their defensive staff. It's just right now, Florida State offers more stability than Auburn does. Um, that's kind of your big, like one of your big names to watch tomorrow. Um, they have interest in this Juco receiver named Quay Davis. They would like to get an experienced pass catcher. We saw them go after Drew Estrada, uh, excuse me, uh, Estrada in the portal, the, the kid from Dartmouth receiver from, originally from Texas. Uh, I do not believe he's going to pick Florida State. Neither does Florida State. So, kind of put two and two together. My guess there is Baylor for Estrada. If Ole Miss doesn't take Quay Davis, the junior college receiver, I could see FSU getting him in there. I will also tell you, 
Florida State people are not confident that they get Malik McCain. McCain's still talking to them. So it's not as if he's just like totally shut it down. You know, he hasn't declared for Ole Miss yet. It's possible that they get him. I don't think it's likely, but it's possible. So, you know, to recap, Quay Davis is possible. Malik McCain is possible, unlikely. And George Wilson seems, I think the right word to use here is probable, uh, unless something happens with the Auburn situation, which is very weird in and of itself. And if you want a huge rundown on that, I mean, on Barton and Bud, we did 61 minutes on Auburn last night. Uh, and we did not really plan to, but it was just, it was good podcasting. So we just went ahead and did it. Um, I think Kevin Steele is much more in play there than a lot of the national media. Yeah, that would be a very interesting hire. So um, obviously uh, the situation at Auburn has an impact on Florida State's class to a, a much lesser extent. Schools like Tennessee, other schools that have kind of shed recruits uh, have impacted the class. It'll be very interesting to see. I mean, I, I do think that they'll probably chase after one or two high school kids to try to get them in February, but there's a certain degree of confidence that you have to have to kind of pivot to a full portal uh, perspective. But also it's kind of reflective of the need and, um, you know, it's probably reflective of the college football day and age that we live in. So um, look, we'll, we'll thank Madison social and our friends there in, uh, in college town been with us since day one uh, just as, as great of a sponsor as we could hope to have. We certainly ask uh, that if possible, that you do everything possible to support small businesses and our, our friends at Madso. I mean, think of it perhaps as maybe like a, a down payment uh, for, for once norm, normalcy returns. And we can uh, talk about going to a spring game. We can talk about enjoying, uh, you know, all the, all the things that make Madison Social Township special. So they've got a great deal, you know, buy, uh, basically it's uh, buy 10, get five for yourself from a dollar perspective of a gift card. Uh, I've gone ahead and personally bought 50 with a, a $25 uh, dollar gift card to put in my own back pocket. And uh, it's just a great way to support a small business. Great way to support, uh, you know, somebody that does nothing but enhance the uh, experience of being a Florida State athletic supporter. Uh, good people, we draw your direction or your attention to madisonsocial.com backslash Nolcast and uh, ask that you give consideration to the gift card deal as you are wrapping up your holiday season shopping. Guys, if you can, support them. If you got a kid going to Florida State next year, it's an awesome gift to give, right? Like it's, there's no guessing, high quality establishment, you know, it's really good food, quality drinks, awesome atmosphere. It's a place, you know, your kid can go. It's a place you can go with your kids in case you can go just yourself. So help them out if you can. Certainly this is a, very tough economy and environment for a lot of different businesses. But if you're a restaurant in a college football town, that's you know, it's tougher than normal. Certainly, especially these cancellations. You want to go a little negative stuff here or just a rundown of who I don't think they're going to get? Yeah. I mean, we could just talk about some of the, yeah, yeah. Some of the other names that are out there. We mentioned the Estrada kid uh, from Dartmouth that we expect to go elsewhere. Uh, you know, one that I, I wish maybe Florida State could have been involved with earlier. Um, maybe it would have made a difference. Maybe it wouldn't have. The uh, defensive back, uh, Perkins, looks to be SEC bound. Maybe Mississippi State, if I had to guess anybody. Uh, Lee Hunter is a name that has gotten kind of thrown around a lot recently. The uh, five-star Alabama prospect uh, committed to Auburn. Byron Young, 
man, I God, if you could tell me that we could pair, you know, uh, the kid out of Miami, Wilson and, and Byron Young as a defensive end class, that would be incredible. But again, I I think that kid's probably SEC bound. So yeah, uh, but correct me if I'm that's wrong. That's what Florida State thinks. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of where we are on some of the the names on the periphery right now. Austin Barber, I, I the the uh, I know Miami offered. I, I do not expect Miami to offer. Uh, the the plan for Florida State offensive line recruiting has been very clear. Tackle, 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 tackle. They think that they're pretty okay on the interior, right? Robert Scott might be more of a guard than a tackle long term. Darius Washington might be more of a guard than a tackle long term. They don't feel great about their tackle position long term. And they want to get some guys in the portal who can play tackle. Or if they take a high school tackle, they want to be a guy who they really feel has like multi-year starter upside at Florida State when they get Florida State back to how Florida State should look. They think Rod Orr has that upside. So that's certainly, you know, someone to to see, but I don't think he's going to go to Florida State. Uh, Lee Hunter is another guy we should mention. Defensive tackle, Florida State. Just to be clear, you're not talking about Rod Orr when you say that. You're, you're talking about... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just so that people don't get confused by what you just said. Sorry. Uh, long day and a lot of time on the phone today while I was driving. Rod Orr, Florida State, does think has the potential. I, I think if they believed that Austin Barber had that super high upside, they would have offered him. Right? But they didn't. Another guy to discuss here, Lee Hunter, defensive tackle out of Alabama. He's an Auburn commit. If there's one guy on the Auburn staff who I would bet a lot on being on the next Auburn staff, it's Rodney Garner, right? There's a guy that Gus Malzahn had to drive to Athens, Georgia, and eat a five-hour meal at a Mexican restaurant to convince him to come back to Auburn. And that's Rodney Garner, defensive tackle coach. Kind of like Odell, right? He, he, he comes with the program. Wherever new, new head coach is. If he was not going to be Hunter's position coach, I would have a little more confidence in FSU's ability to flip Hunter. But I, Rodney Garner does not miss often. So I would, I would say kind of low confidence there on that one. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of where we are with that. We already mentioned Drew Estrada. Um, also, there was a question. I think it was on the email inbox uh, about the Harvard transfer that Auburn uh, took. And we know Florida State had interest in him, but I don't know how bad they actually wanted him. Um, I think he's more of an interior guy. Eric Wilson's his name. Um, and they, like, like I just explained to you, it was clarified to me yet again, they want tackles, which they, I mean, they probably want two transfer tackles to make sure they have bodies and, if you think about it, it's kind of like, eh. So uh, just real quickly, there's a kind of social media campaign, I guess, if you want to call it that. Uh, started yesterday. There was a recent update tonight that maybe wasn't quite as sharp as, uh, as the first one, but kind of the, the what's in the box question. We'll keep this real quick as this is like super diehard fans will probably be familiar with it and others may wonder what in the world we're talking about. I don't know exactly what it's going to be. I was critical a little bit of the second uh, run out that they did today. Ultimately, I think it's a pretty creative idea. It'll be interesting to see what the execution looks like. Um, but hey, you know, Florida State's trying some things. They've got a little bit of a, a limited staff, as the entirety of the uh, athletic department does right now. But 
they're going to fall short when you manage, when you compare them against like Clemson and Oklahoma and programs like that. Uh, and I have to kind of remind myself of that. But I think come signing day, I think this is going to be a pretty cool rollout if I understand kind of some of the loose concepts as to, to what might be down the road or what they might be following this up with. Yeah, I think a lot of it is, I mean, it looks like backyard football. The, the most recent tweet that was posted tonight that, you know, showing Coach Yak opening up the box and, and the, you know, the old DVD game and he's, he's throwing it in. I'm trying to think about what these graphics that these schools are releasing are going to look like this year because they haven't had kids on campus to, t- to do the photo shoots and to do the video shoots. Like if you recall last year, basically everybody who was on campus for an official visit did some kind of, you know, version of them doing the chop and whatnot. And, and they incorporated that in their, their social graphics. Are they asking these kids to submit social graphics on their own and then kind of make it into this video? I'm guessing because otherwise, what are you going to use stills? They want some kind of animation on it. I think if if you reference the name of the game that we just talked about, I think it gives you some pretty cool flexibility with how you present this stuff on signing day. I'll put it that way. And I don't know. I'm not saying that like, Oh, I know what this is going to look like. I don't, uh, but they, there could be some pretty cool stuff that they do with it. So uh, we'll see. I'll wait to withhold judgment. Uh, it's nice to see at least that they're trying stuff just as, you know, I'm not comparing podcasting or working in radio to graphics on a college football program, but you got to try stuff. And sometimes it works out great. Sometimes it doesn't, but uh, nice to see them trying something. And I think when we give it a full review, It'll be something that we're positive about. Another thing that we'll spend just a quick amount of time on is this is kind of real esoteric talk. Uh, but Brian McFadden hosting the National Signing Day party, I think that's cool. I mean, I, look, Brian McFadden's a, a, a great player. I think as we are, were reminded a couple months ago, he's still, I think, the highest rated secondary prospect to sign with Florida State in the recruiting era, which is a cool thing to think about. Uh, has a great podcast that I, I know people have kind of found over the past month or so. And I I don't know this with certainty, bud, but it sounds like from talking to some friends of mine that there might be a select in-person component to this as well, uh, which would be a networking opportunity, if you want to throw some, some air quotes around that, that maybe hasn't otherwise existed. So uh, it'd be fascinating to see what that looks like. Uh, for me, kind of the golden day uh, halcyon period of times for these were the first two Jimbo classes where, you know, Rick Trickett got up there like so drunk that you were worried he was going to say something that would jeopardize his, uh, his employment future. And it, was a, it was a fun time. So I always enjoy these signing day parties and I'm, I'm fascinated to see what Florida State does with this one. Yeah, c- kind of like a little maybe press conference set up. If you look at the tweet that got sent out, um, I think it was what, Dillingham, Yak, Fuller and Norvell and if you can get past all the responses saying like, this is a weird way to announce Fuller's firing pretty prevalent on Twitter, but you know, you got to remember Twitter's kind of the lunatic fringe and Hey, if you listen to an FSU podcast, you're also kind of lunatic fringe and we love you for it. You heard that there's a good number of boosters invited to this. I think, I think there may be a in-person component to it. So we'll, we'll say that be fascinated to see what it ultimately looks like. But yeah, you know, part of this is just kind of Florida state has been impacted like everybody has by, uh, some of the challenges has existed, but you know, you're still looking at a coach that hasn't had a chance to really do the kind of, you know, the rubber chicken uh, circuit and, and meet a lot of these people. And, you know, there's certainly benefits to that. So uh, we'll see if maybe, maybe Wednesday isn't a first step in that direction. I, I think some of those connections being made are, will, will be very important. 
All right, so we got some listener questions, and we don't just have some. We've got an awful lot of listener questions, so we will do our best to get to as many of these as possible. Uh, Caleb, Chuck, and Bryant, I'm going to kind of merge all three of your questions because all of them are tied to what Florida State's bowl future might look like. Some ACC teams have made it known that they've had enough football and are shutting it down. Any chance Wake is feeling like calling it a day and won't be fully engaged on Saturday? And ultimately, what is your opinion as to Florida State's bowl prospectus? I can't comment about if Wake's going to shut it down. Uh, I know Florida State is like barely above the line as far as having enough guys to play, including you know this last week. They were very excited to be able to play. And I, I think they want to play this game at Wake, even though it's not a home game. And they, they want to try to get games in. I'm also very aware of the grind that this season has been on players and coaching staff. Did you see the report about what happened at BC? Uh, I'm not immediately familiar with what you're referencing. No. So Jeff Halfley basically, you know, told his team, Hey, like I'm super proud of you guys. We didn't have any COVID cases all year. I know it's this grind. You haven't been able to go home and see your families and guys, we're not going to make you go to a bowl game. Bowl games this year are not going to be fun. So what Pitt, BC, and UVA, uh, are they the three so far that have opted out? I didn't see UVA, okay. but it wouldn't surprise me. All right. Pitt and BC for sure. And apparently BC's locker room erupted in positivity. Like they were really excited to be done with this crap and be able to go home and see their families, which I guarantee there's some guys in Fort State's schedule or excuse me, on their roster who are feeling the same way. And, you know, one of the issues here is what if you accept a bowl game bid and then you have six or seven more guys say, coach, I, I want to go home for Christmas, man. Cause it's not like you can send these guys home and then tell them, all right, come back in a week or two. You know, we'll start this whole quarantine process all over again. Like if you're playing a bowl game, you kind of got to stay the whole time, right? Well, yeah. And if you're playing in the type of bowl game that Florida state's going to, it's probably going to be played on December 27th at, at, at noon or something, you know, I mean, uh, it ain't, it ain't going to be on January 1st. Let me put it that way. There's some, definitely some challenges there uh, to, to doing this. So like, if you're going to do it, you want to make sure that like, you're actually going to have enough guys to play in it. I'm sure Norvell and company would like to get the practices, but at the same time, you're going to have a lot of new players on this team next year. If they take 10 transfers, how many starters do you think you're going to get out of that? Seven? You know? I mean, that's... Substantial percentage. You know, a quarter or a third of your starting lineup might might be transfers, guys who are not on the team right now. There's a lot of considerations with, with, with the bowl game. They'll also, they'll lose money on a bowl game this year. Like, and it's not fun for any of the players. This is, uh, this is what I was going to say. There's no like, you know, prime rib eating competition. There's no going to Bush Gardens. There's no, there's no fun <laughs> stuff. It's like, hey. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there's no, there's no, no, no going to New York City and enjoying being in New York City or wherever you might have gone. Absolutely, yeah. Like go hang out in a hotel and get a fossil watch. Right. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, that's <laughs> your fossil watch is still a thing. That, I, I, don't know. Oh, I imagine, I, I imagine those will get thrown in some of our uh, lower tier bowl swag bags. Certainly. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a good reflection. Just as the commercials have been for Florida state, out of which, uh, you know, makes up the gift bags of these bowl games is a good reflection as to where we are in 2020. Um, okay. Chris asks or Brett asks, well, let's see, he asked about Auburn recruits. We kind of touched on that. 
organically in our previous discussion. Chris says, would love to hear your thoughts and perspective on the Malzahn firing from a college football macro point of view. Hard for me to rationalize public university justifying the decision with colleges hemorrhaging money in 2020. The university is not spending the money. You have some boosters at Auburn who are tired of losing on the field to Georgia, are tired of when they beat Alabama, they beat them really close. And when they lose to Alabama, they get their freaking doors blown off. They just saw LSU win a national title. They see A&M creeping up there a little bit more every year. They see four teams on their schedule that they have to play annually, beating them in recruiting. They saw just, you know, they, they saw George Pickens leave the state. They saw Justin Ross leave the state. They've not recruited the offensive line position very well. And they're basically saying, hey, we make sure we have the right guy in here who knows how to play ball and knows how, knows how to recruit and win those battles because certain other teams in this league have stepped up how they recruit. And we're going to go ahead and pay the buyout money and we're going to make damn sure the next guy we get in here knows how to recruit in the SEC in a way that my Auburn people don't feel that Gus did. That's uh, surprising. And, or it's not surprising. And I also know what the longer-term ramifications are going to be, and that is that, well... Everybody, that outside linebacker just got a little bit more expensive. Let me put it that way. Um, all right. We talked about um, how it could impact Florida State's recruiting. We kind of talked about that in the previous one. And then Chris calls us the OGs of Florida State podcasting, which I certainly appreciate, but not really that old either. So, uh, Chris, thank you and uh, appreciate your question. We will thank our friends, uh, Matt Lewis and his team at Congruity. Congruity is experiencing your business. Optimize uh, sounds as though we have a success story uh, to report on. I don't know that that's necessarily official, uh, but I do believe that uh, some others have taken a look at what the team at Congruity offers and have decided to pair with them. So thank you so much to our listeners. We're selective with who we pair with, and uh, we were we were really impressed by congruity and and certainly think that they would be able to add an awful lot of value to your business. So would encourage you to reach out to Matt and his team at 844-247-4100 or reach him at Knowles at congruityhr.com. That's N-O-L-E-S at congruityhr.com. Okay, Austin asks us, uh, do y'all have any idea from your sources <laughs> what the message Norvell and Co. are relaying to potential transfers on the trail? I know we're skeptical about the message that can be spun for high-level high school recruits, uh, but transfers to me is where uh, Milton could possibly be a potential leading indicator of good things. Yeah, actually, they are trying to come up with ideas on how to, how to use Milton uh, on, on the trail right now. and. I would say, basically, we have a lot of playing time to offer. Is one of the major sales. We are going to play a lot of elite teams. So if you're good, you will be able to you know, show your wares. The Florida State name still carries a decent bit of value with players. I mean, they've won a national championship in the recent memory of these guys. You know, I mean, like Jalen Ramsey is like the best corner in the NFL. He was a starter on that team. This is not... You know, you're not having to explain to kids who Jalen Ramsey is like you do with Percy Hart. You use the name, you, you use the location, right? You tell, you tell them about the football facility. You obviously have the, you know, the, the indoor, which is a high quality indoor. 
And there's a lot of good tradition. Like, like Florida State is not a hard product to sell as a program. The recent stuff on the field has not been easy to sell. The lack of relationships that you have is very difficult. But playing time is a major thing. Um, and like I said, I think more transfers know who McKenzie Milton is than high school kids do. Um, they're going to have to cut up his highlights and say, look, we were just lucky enough to get this kid. We knew him when we were at Memphis and like, this is what, what he can do. Like, this is exciting. Like the McKenzie Milton takes some of the doubt, I think away from like, okay, like, is this program going to suck again next year? Right. It may not be good, but it's hard. If, if he's as healthy as UCF people think he is, it's hard to see them being like just flat out bad again next year with the full off season and actually getting to install your systems and whatnot. That doesn't mean they're going to get a lot of high quality transfers. Luckily for them and unluckily for Florida State, the program just where it is right now, decent players are upgrades at many spots. And I think you can, you can get some decent transfers at a good number of spots, um, both because you have plenty of time to sell. And I think Milton helps that as well. Um, <clears throat> Chris also asked us about, uh, Auburn commitments and the impact that could have on the recruiting trail. So we certainly touched on that. Uh, Jimmy Lee asked, how is Fabian Lovett? Uh, that was one of the scarier things I've watched. Uh, certainly uh, frightening as he lay motionless for several minutes and uh, just have to see the doctors push his legs together. But yeah, uh, you know, certainly very positive to see that kid walk off the field on his own. I don't know for sure, bud, but it sounds to me like all things are fairly positive on that front. I don't want to be an amateur doctor, but I think he might have taken a pretty harsh stinger there and had enough teammates that lay on the ground for a second and thought they were momentarily paralyzed. I'm not making light of that. I mean, that's scary ass feeling to have, uh, but that's can sometimes happen in football. And I certainly don't know the deeper, you know, medical reasoning as to why that happens, but to see a guy go through the stages that Jimmy Lee mentions, and then also walk off the field four minutes later, uh, that would be an educated guess as to what might've taken place there. I don't know what happened to him. I really haven't. I mean, I've had a pretty busy week. I haven't followed up on a love's condition. I, I, I agree with you that that seems likely just based on watching the video, you know, but I, I don't actually know what happened to him. I, I can reach out about that. I'll, I'll write that down. I think the fact that we haven't heard more about that's a good sign. And I'll put it that way. So um, Matt asked, this question might be irrelevant at this point, but why would Ladanian Webb transfer out of the program? Seems the only logic in the decision must exist outside of football. I think he nailed it. Logically, you don't transfer from Florida State to Troy. Where's Ladanian Webb from? Alabama, right? I mean, Troy might fire its head coach. There's some stuff going on there. I think that this is related to the family situation. We, we, we know uh, Brendan Sinone of North 24-7 reported you know, there was some stuff going on like family-wise. It was a very tough season on him. Uh, to me, this is a move that screams getting closer to home. Did I see Chapman also declare for Troy, uh, the kid out of Rome? Jamarcus Chapman looks like he's headed there as well. So uh, good luck to those two kids. Yeah, that, that, uh, I agree. That's more kind of reflective of perhaps his level. Uh, where Webb is a really good running back and uh, and wish him the best. At the same time... Does it say something to you? By the way, I sorry to interrupt. Our connection is a little bit weirder tonight. Um, does it say something to you that the real rumors that we heard about Webb or Auburn, you and I both dismissed that because he's not as good as Tank Bigsby is and maybe not as good as, as DJ on their roster. 
and yet he still ends up at a program in the state, like close to his house. Yeah, I, I do think there's there's some legitimacy there, and uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I just these kids live very different lives than I've I've grown up, and I certainly you know wish him the best. And um, if he felt the need to move home to you know to uh, to maximize at least his own kind of personal mental health and and what he can do in his final year of college football. Uh, Webb was a a bright spot in a year that didn't offer very many. So I'll certainly wish him the best and and hope, you know, hope whatever's possible as far as a footballing future uh, comes to fruition for that kid. All right. Next question we have here. uh, We already answered most of the ones about, about Auburn. Uh, Matt asks, uh, Hey, notice that John Dunmore and Marcus Fleming are both in the portal. I know FSU had interest under Willie. Does FSU have interest now? Should they? I would try to look into what was going on with Dunmore at Penn State. I don't know that Fleming is a guy who helps your program culturally. You know, um, that's basically all I'm going to say on that. I, I, I don't think I, I would not take Fleming. Uh, Dunmore, maybe. that we scored 56 points off of those 10 plays or a bit of both. Uh, interesting question, TJ. I think you probably, you know, I know that Florida State particularly favored one formation uh, hard in this game with kind of a, a, a trips look, but uh, I certainly think that they ran more than 10 plays. And look, the glorified middle school offense is a reflection of what they have. I mean, I know they're, you know, there's a lot of things that, that look very much like a wing T offense at times with what they're doing. And that's, uh, that's the talent that you have to work around. And that's the talent that you have to work around that also happens to minimize some of the, the frailties that you otherwise have on the offensive line. And by the way, when Ontario Wilson, it gets knocked out of the game, I think, I haven't gone back and looked at this. I think uh, Portier is the only wide receiver, scholarship wide receiver you have that takes snaps from that point moving forward. I mean, it's, it's a ridiculously limited hand that they're working with right now. I just think that like, you got to be happy that, that they played the game at all. You're very limited in what you can do. Rodemaker, he's not ready to play. Okay. Travis is not a very good passer. You are very limited when you're using him. You're running basically spread option and you're very limited personnel wise terms of experience, in terms of talent, and in terms of numbers. I mean, that's probably about as good as you could have possibly hoped this offense would have looked, right? Against the, against the ACC team, I know Duke was limited as well. I, I don't think like that they're like, hey, we, we were able to install a lot of new stuff with these disjointed practices that, you know, that we had coming. Yeah, I mean, at the same time, I do want to say that uh, he has a little bit of a sloppy interception there. Again, if you're going to throw a sloppy interception, make it on third and 12, not first and 10. But there's some throws there that are an improvement over the uh, of what we have otherwise seen from him. So uh, still going to be you know limited from that front and more kid that kind of flicks the ball downfield than he does throw it. That's progress. That's what we said we hoped we would see from him. And that's a, you know, that's a step in the right direction. So uh, we'll have to see what ultimately it looks like. I, you know, I think you can both appreciate the rather unique uh, as you know aspect that he brings to the offense, and and really the 
kid's an exceptional athlete, special when he's running the ball, um, and and also say that their ideal offense is going to look a little bit different. So, uh, it you know, one of the – or if not the biggest storyline going into 20, uh, 2021 is what's that marriage going to look like? How can you still take advantage of the, you know, rather unique aspects of, of Travis's skill set and kind of work more in the offense of, of which uh, – you know, which this staff is, is kind of historically occupied and operated within. So, yeah, that's our, our, our best answer that we can give you, TJ. All right. Uh, we've got a couple more tonight, I think. And uh, much, well, actually, you know, it's going to determine how much time we have tonight. How much more battery does do Bud's eye, uh, earbuds have? Uh, oh, I got 30%. We're in business. All right. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, if Ingram's got time, I got time. All right, Ingram, as you know, on Wednesday, a lot of recruits are going to make a very important decision, and we encourage you to make a legendary decision with Legendary Home Loans. Our friends, Chad and Shannon, at Legendary Home Loans have helped more than 120 NOLCAST listeners get their home loan or refi. It's a great time to refi right now, as you know. Give them a call, 844-FSU-LOAN. That's 844-FSU-LOAN. Make an excellent, legendary choice. Knowledge of the industry, competitive rates. Get a little NOL talk. Hey, Give Shannon a call, April 4 FSU loan, talking about an FSU win. That's that's kind of rare. Normally he's having to, you know, talk me off the ledge for for you know, or I'm talking him off the ledge uh for before stage stuff. Uh, but after a win, great time to call. So go ahead and do that and uh, and take advantage of those excellent rates like so many of y'all have. And with that, we'll get back to the show. Hey guys, love the podcast. So keep up the great work. Uh, appreciate it, Scott. Uh, I think it probably has something to do with the amazing guests that Inger brought on, but I really enjoyed the win against Duke on Saturday. This sounds insane, but could the benefit of being truly terrible be that the losses don't hurt as much and the wins are even more enjoyable? I remember in the, ni- in the 90s when the wins were a relief and I felt the losses in my bones. I have zero doubt that FSU will eventually be in position to compete for titles, but until then, I'm actually looking forward to focusing on growth and progress instead of win or else. Uh, thanks again and stay safe. The guest you brought on was a hit, by the way. Like, really, we got nothing but positive feedback on that. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I mean it's something different, and hey, when you're, you know, when you're two and six, why not try something different? And David's a <laughs> David has a very popular podcast. I'll put it that way. Uh, he's he's I think he has uh, the most listened to podcast in UK sports, to be honest. So uh, great guy. Fortunate to be able to get his opinion on things, and uh, glad that that was uh, otherwise seemingly received pretty well. It's just going to be a progress, or excuse me, it's just going to be a process, and progress has to be noted and enjoyed. And I mean, I certainly understand what you're saying, and and the fact that you know wins were in expect expectations at times, and and maybe a relief. And I don't know. I mean, next year, next year is going to be fascinating to me, uh, both how the team performs, how the fan base responds. I mean, I think heading into a year where if you go seven and six, it being a, a relatively really good year is something really unique for this fan base. Uh, and it, it'll be fascinating to see how that works, how much it transitions into recruiting, how much some of the institutional buy-in that has to be there for recruiting. Um, I'm fascinated to see how, how what and, and how that works. But uh, for one Saturday, it was a nice, nice performance. We've talked about it. And uh, yeah, just nice to be able to enjoy a win and kind of try to find some of those green shoots of progress uh, that David referenced uh, last week. I think that's kind of the only way to enjoy it. This is not going to be a super quick process. Although Milton coming, I, I think, does help. I mean, maybe that, that might make you a full win better than, than you were 
uh, before. Um, we got a lot more Milton questions, by the way. We, we, we can hit some of these. I know we already talked about him uh, some. One from Kessna. We, we actually, I look, Kessna sent in five questions. They're, they're really good. Uh, we already answered the first three. And uh, the fourth one, I think, is, is interesting. So he, he writes, uh, and we're, we're going to, with the fifth one, I'll, I think we'll take it after signing day because I think it's more interesting to, to address there, which we'll save it because you guys can't read our emails. Uh, given the trend amongst college quarterbacks to transfer versus elevate their play and compete for a starting job, which of our existing quarterbacks is most likely to transfer assuming Milton wins the job? Also, which of them would be best served by not transferring and learning from Milton? I think this one's easy. I think it's Travis. I have to put, if I have to guess, right? Uh, that's the direction that I would go in. Yeah, you're right. We'll save the other one for uh, for after signing day. We've got a ton of Milton questions. Let's see. Caleb leads off. Your thoughts on Milton and assuming he's a starter for 2021. What kind of jump uh, can this offense make with him at the helm compared with a normal offseason uh, to grasp Norvell's offensive concepts? Well, look, obviously the answer is predicated on uh, on who else they get, Right. Uh, around him because clearly like they feel like they don't have tackles on this roster at this point in time. I mean, at least based on, on their philosophy of recruiting right now, looking who they're going after. And, and I really think that their pursuit of Estrada in the portal was instructive as to their opinion on, uh, you know, on, on their roster. And there's, there's a guy I follow in NFL wagering, right? And you know, he's talking about, okay, like, if you're going to play player props early in the week, do you know if this guy's be healthy or not? Can he play? And he's like, what, what I like to do, I like to see who they sign off their practice squad that week at the NFL level because it tells me which injuries they're actually really worried about and which guys are just listed as questionable because they have to be listed as questionable and then they're more likely to play. I kind of like to do the same thing in evaluating a team's roster by looking at who they are going after in the portal. And Estrada is not a freak physically, but he's an accomplished player who is a good route runner who I think can help demonstrate the proper habits to some of the other players on the team as opposed to you know, some of your veterans this year, right, who don't catch the football, who have really bad practice habits at the receiver position, you know, that, that type of thing. I think they can like go out and get a decent pass catcher or two. Not a freak, but just somebody who can be productive with, with Milton in the fold, right? It's probably a little bit less of a sell to go block for McKenzie Milton than it is to catch passes for McKenzie Milton, but it doesn't hurt. Um, so I certainly think the offense could take a, a, a decent jump. All right, so Florida State's offense is 71st in the country right now. I would think it's very reasonable to get back in like, like the top 40, you know, from outside the top 70 to, you know, inside the top 40 is, is pretty reasonable. Maybe better if you, depending on who else you get around Milton, but you don't lose much of importance off this roster on offense. And you're only going to have more experience in the system and you're adding Milton. Um, the only way I don't see this working out, if Travis were to transfer and then Milton's like not what he, is build to be or something crazy like that. But other than that, it's, it's hard not to see a big jump happening. That's your job as a coach, right? To assess the risk of that. Like you have to factor in, okay, who else is going to leave if we take this kid? 
the the only real negative here is if you lose pieces on your roster because he comes on and then ultimately he's not what you think he will be. Um, so I mentioned this in the instant, like Jay, Jay Sean Corbin is a nice, <laughs> Jay Sean Corbin is a nice running back uh, in the wildcat look, but he's more like a guy that gets you three and a half to six and a half yards out of that. Um, I'll be fascinated to see if you don't have Travis just run an awful lot of wildcat to try to complement what he can give you. Uh, stretch the field a little bit and then kind of play off of that with uh, with Milton and and uh, you know not have guys taking necessarily 50 50 snaps but have you know two very established quarterbacks that you try to lean on and, and weave into your offense as much as possible uh, Michael asked I know you're getting hammered with uh, with Milton questions but I'm wondering if you could comment on the different effects of having him versus Altmeyer in the long term and in particular this recruiting class um, uh, he sends a thank you to our sponsors and also says that he's gotten a lot of Christmas gifts from Homefield Apparel, and that's a, a great company uh, to get some Christmas shopping done from. So, Michael, I appreciate your support and the question. Okay, so long term, I think you'd rather have Altmeyer, maybe, like in turn, because you're you're getting Altmeyer for more seasons. You're, you're going to have Milton for one year. I, I, I don't think Milton's going to stick around. I, I, I would guess because uh, he'd be like what, like a 25 year old college senior and most guys aren't Chris Wingy. Short term though, I certainly think that Milton has the ability to jumpstart your transfer recruiting more than Altmeyer would. And I wonder if my answer on this and your answer on this would be different if we had a regular offseason of recruiting. Like if all these other kids had seen Altmeyer at camps and whatnot and he had that bond with them. But because he has not been able to really bond with these guys and, and meet them in person, I wonder if his recruiting ability and impact, speaking of Altmaier here, is reduced compared to what it normally would be. Whereas Milton is kind of standing on his prior resume and, and name recognition. No, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of validity to that and that you don't. Um, and also, if he was a kid, um, you know, if he was a kid from from middle of Florida or, or northern Florida or South Georgia or something like that, certainly the fact that he's a, a little bit of a, a, you know, geographic anomaly compared to where the rest of the class come from, um, it would, would, I'd view that different if he was, uh, if he was from, uh, you know, part of an area to which there's a little bit more overlap with the class. So, uh, final question of the night comes from Jonathan. Uh, Jonathan... Jonathan asks, uh, on the ACC Network broadcast, did either you pony up for that super slick tack Bell and Hal shaver? Uh, can it possibly be the case that Favre and Rice are so short on money that they need to make uh, the commercial copper-infused back wrap commercials? And does it cost $50 to run an ad on the network? Uh, on the serious front, Jonathan asks, I'm excited about the Milton transfer, but in general, wonder how Florida State reaches the decision to lean in hard in the transfer portal grad transfer market um, say I'm a three, three and a half star prospect, and I'm looking at Florida State, Georgia Tech, and say Michigan as a place to land. Uh, what's Florida State's pitch to me? What would make Florida State an attractive destination? I would think a grad transfer would want to play for a team that's more likely to win games in his final year, and that a similar desire would apply to transfer portal candidates. Uh, I love Florida State to be a compelling destination, but not sure that that's the case in this scenario. It's not a compelling destination for most big-time transfers. Just not. Florida State does not have to land big-time transfers in the portal to have a successful season in the portal. I think that's really key to drive home. 
the reason why they have decided to go heavy portal is because they feel there is a experience deficiency, a skill deficiency at some of the spots on this roster that are likely to be addressed instantly if they have just some decent success in the portal. There's a lot more uncertainty with the high school recruits this year because they haven't seen these kids in person. They've never worked them out. They don't really have a great sense for how good these kids are. You're going to see a ton of kids transfer out of this 2021 recruiting class, both at Florida State and elsewhere. You know, you can call me out on this in two years. I bet you less than 60% of this 2021 high school class is on the 2023 roster. Just because they haven't seen these kids in person, right? Like, and that's not a Florida State thing. That's like an everywhere thing. But you're going to see a lot of kids jump in the portal. I'm, I'm treating this very much like another, you know, kind of short season recruiting class. Because in terms of being able to see these dudes and meet them, that's basically what, what you had time-wise. Uh, so they're like pitching against Georgia Tech and Michigan. I don't know if I would have picked those examples because neither of those, none of those programs had good years and they're all on kind of different trajectories. Uh, but you're pitching closeness to home, you're pitching playing time. On the offensive side of the ball, you're pitching Norvell's success at Memphis and the name Florida State. That's basically what it is. We do have one final question from Bishroy tonight. He says, I usually in a hot sauce for just about everything, but Saturday was the first time I considered dousing my eyes with the liquid gold after the first commercial break. I will never dismiss another warning from Ingram again. Assuming he's fully healthy, what would Milton's recruiting ranking be if he were a high school recruit? Interested your opinion on this, bud. Uh, if he was a high school recruit, this is just tough to know because I haven't seen him in person healthy again, right? Like, I don't know what his mobility is like. Obviously, if you were getting like peak McKenzie Milton when he was tearing up everybody, I mean, he'd probably be like a pretty high four star. You know, size-wise, there's some concerns. I think the arm is more about the release than it is the actual RPMs, but you know, there's some RPMs there. He's, he's small. He'd be a very high... Like, if you're getting the guy who was crushing it in 2018, just an absolute killer, then yeah, he'd be a really highly rated recruit. I just He's going to be a tough one to rank because you don't know how healthy he actually is. Right? It's kind of like Jason Corbin's ranking this year. Florida State was excited to get him. A&M really wasn't that bummed to lose him. How do you square the, the feedbacks you get from those different coaching staffs when you go to make that transfer ranking, right? You go back to what he was rated at high school. You square what he did at the college level so far. You get the feedback from both programs. How do you want to use him, right? How, like, what did you guys think of him? Yeah, we loved him, but he, but he blew his leg out. Okay, well, hey, we, we, we think he's worth the risk. All right, well, kind of the same thing with, uh, with Lingard at Florida, right? You know, some of the Miami sources are saying, hey, like he was playing fullback in practice. He, he couldn't get any reps. And you know, like we have a good backfield here, but it's not a crazy backfield. Florida people were like, hey, we're super excited to have him. We think he might be a five-star. Who do you go with? You, you, you kind of split the difference, to be honest, unless you have a real reason to, to believe that one of them is wrong. I mean, they're all getting paid to evaluate guys as coaches. Is that rambling? It might have been. No, no, not at all, man. I think that's good stuff. I think we, uh, you know, uh, appropriated a, a pretty significant portion and, and, uh, you know, accordingly so to the information about Milton, but, uh, this will otherwise probably put a bow on tonight's null cast. Certainly appreciate the, uh, listenership and support that we continue to enjoy. If you have an opportunity to give us five stars on iTunes or whatever other, 
um, or excuse me, Apple Podcasts or whatever other podcast provider you uh, find us on. Certainly appreciate it. And we will be back, um, you know, with, with some kind of signing day review here at this point in time. But and I will work that around his schedule. Look forward to bringing it to you. And uh, thank you as always. This has been the Nolcast. This has been the Nolcast. The Nolcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith. Music by Judson Wright and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles.